the Sunni path. When our Prophet ﷺ honored the hereafter with his presence in the 11th year of the Hijra, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq became Khalifa. He passed away at the age of 63, 13 years after the Hijra. After him, Umar al-Farooq became Khalifa. He was martyred at the age of 63, in 23 of the Hijra. After him, Uthman the Nurain became Khalifa. He was martyred at the age of 82, in the year 35 after the Hijra. Thereafter, Ali became Khalifa. He was martyred in 40 Hijri, when he was 63. These four Khalifas are called Al-Khulafa al-Rashidin, exactly as in the Asr al-Sa'adat, the rules, ahkam of the Sharia were carried out and righteousness, justice, and freedom flourished everywhere during the Khalifas. Rules of the Sharia were carried out without any misapplications. These four Khalifas were the most exalted among all the Ashabat al-Kiram, and their superiority to one another was as in the order of the sequence of their Khalifates. In the time of Abu Bakr, Muslims went out of the Arabian Peninsula. After our Prophet honored the hereafter with his presence, rebellions broke out on the Arabian Peninsula. Abu Bakr quelled the rebellions and struggled to correct the apostates during his caliphate and re-established Muslim unity as had been the case during the Asr al-Sa'ada. Umar, when he became Khalifa, delivered a speech. O companions of the Messenger, Arabia can supply only the barley for your horses. Yet, Allah has promised his beloved Prophet that he would give Muhammad, Ummah, lands and homes in all parts of the world. Where are the soldiers to conquer those countries promised and to attain the booties in this world and honors of Ghazi and martyr in the hereafter? Where are the Ghazis who will sacrifice their lives and heads and leave their homes to rescue the human slaves of Allah from the paws of the cruel for the sake of Islam? With these words, he encouraged the Sahabat al-Kiram to go out for jihad and Gaza. It was this speech of Umar that prompted the rapid enlargement of Islamic countries on three continents and the purification of millions of people from disbelief. Upon this speech, the Sahabat al-Kiram took a unanimous oath to make jihad and to fight for Islam until death. With armed forces organized as the Khalifa had commanded, Muslims left their homes and went out of Arabia and settled everywhere. Many of them did not come back and struggled till death where they had gone. Thus, many countries were conquered in a short time. In those days, there were two great empires, the Byzantine and the Persian. Muslims overcame both. Especially the Persian Empire collapsed altogether, and all her lands came into Muslims' possession. Inhabitants of these countries, being blessed with the honor of becoming Muslims, attained peace in this world and endless bliss in the hereafter. During the times of Uthman and Ali, too, Muslims dedicated themselves to Gaza. Nonetheless, during the Khalifa of Uthman, some people rose against the Khalifa and martyred him. During the time of Ali, the Khariji tumults arose. Differences among the Muslims commenced. And since the greatest source of conquest and victory was unanimous unity, during their Khalifas, not so much land was conquered as had been the case during the time of Umar. The era of the Khulafa al-Rashidin lasted 30 years. These 30 years, like the time of the Prophet ﷺ, passed in prosperity. After them, many bidahs and wrong paths appeared among Muslims, and many people dissented from the right way. 
Only those who believed and adapted themselves to the Sharia, exactly as the Sahabat al-Kiram had done, were saved. Their way is that of the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. This is the only correct way. The way which our Prophet and his companions followed was the way which is shown by the scholars of the Ahl-Sunnah The wrong ways were forgotten in the course of time and most Muslim countries today follow this correct way. Of those which were not compatible with the Ahl-Sunnat wal-Jama'ah, there is only the Shiite group left. The Shiites claim Khalifat was Ali's right, and Abu Bakr and Umar deprived him of this right by force, and they slander most of the Sahabat al-Kiram. Today, those who are called Muslims and are known as the Al-Ummat Al-Muhammadiyah are almost entirely composed of the Ahl-Sunnah, the Shiites, and the Wahhabis. The Ahl-Sunnah, with respect to practices and acts of worship, consists of four madhabs. The first one, the Hanafi madhab, was founded by Al-Imam Al-Azham Abu Hanifa Nu'man bin Thabit, rahmatullahi alayhi. Hanif means a person who believes correctly, who clings to Islam. Abu Hanifa means the father of true Muslims. Al-Imam al-Asham did not have a daughter named Hanifa. The second of the four madhabs of the Ahl-Sunnah is the Maliki madhab of Imam Malik ibn Anas. The third one is the Shafi madhab of Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi. Hadrat Shafi, a Sahaba, was the grandfather of the Imam's grandfather. That is why he and his madhab were called Shafi. The fourth one is the Hanbali Madhab of Ahmad ibn Hanbal, as is written in the preface of Rad al-Mukhtar by Ibn Abdin, these four Imams were born in the Hijri years 80, 90, 150, and 164, and passed away in 150, 179, 204, and 241, respectively. With respect to Itikad, or creedal tenets, these four Madhabs are not different from one another. All of them belong to the Ahl-Sunnah, and their beliefs and the basis of their religion is the same. These four Imams of the Muslims were great mujtahids, recognized and believed by everybody. Yet they disagreed with one another in some small matters with respect to practices, the Ahkam-i-Islamiyah. Because Allah and his Prophet pitied Muslims, it was not declared clearly in the Quran al-Karim and Hadith sharifs how some practices should be done. These practices would have to be done by comparing them to those declared clearly. Among religious scholars, those who are capable of understanding how such practices are to be done after comparing them were called mushtahid. It was wajib, i.e. it was commanded in the Quran al-Karim and hadith sharifs for a mushtahid to strive with his utmost energy to find out how a certain practice is to be done and for him and for those who follow him to perform it in accordance with his deduction or choice, ijtihad, which he thought was most probably the right solution. A mushtahid's mistake in exploring the way of doing a certain practice will not be regarded as a sin, and he will be rewarded in the hereafter for his efforts, for man is commanded to work as much as he can. If he erred, he will be given one reward for his efforts. If he discovered what was correct, he will be rewarded ten times as much. All the Sahabat al-Kiram were great scholars, i.e. mujtahids. Among the people who lived immediately after them, there were many great scholars capable of ishtihad, and each of them was followed by very many people. 
In the course of time, most of them were forgotten, and among the Ahl-Sunnah, only the four madhabs survived. Afterwards, lest someone might come forth and pretend to be a mushtahid and make up a heretical group, the Ahl-Sunnah did not follow any madhab other than these four. Millions of people among the Ahl-Sunnah followed one of these four madhabs. Since the beliefs of these four madhabs are the same, they do not consider one another wrong, nor do they regard one another as holders of bidat or heretics. After saying that the right way is the way of these four madhabs, a Muslim thinks that his own madhab is more likely to be correct, since Islam does not reveal clearly how the practices that are to be determined through ishtihad should be done, it is possible for one's own madhab to be wrong and one of the remaining three madhabs to be right. And it is better for everyone to say, the madhab I follow is right, but it may be wrong as well. The other three madhabs are wrong, but one of them may be right as well. Thus, if there is no haraj or difficulty in trouble, it is not permissible to mix the four madhabs with one another by doing one thing according to one madhab and another thing according to another. A person has to adapt himself in every respect to the madhab he follows by learning its teachings when there is no haraj. Most scholars said that the Hanafi madhab was closer to being right. Therefore, this madhab settled in most Muslim countries. Almost all Muslims in Turkestan, India, and Anatolia are Hanafis. Western Africa is wholly Maliki. There are Malikis in some coastal regions of India. Among the Kurds and in Egypt, Arabia, and Dagestan, Shafis are numerous. Hanbalis are few. At one time, there were many in Damascus and Baghdad. The Adlat al-Sharia, or Documents, Sources of Islam, consists of four parts. The Quran al-Karim, Hadith al-Sharifs, Ijma al-Ummah, and Qiyas al-Fuqaha. When the Mushtahids could not see in the Quran al-Karim clearly how a certain practice is to be done, they would resort to Hadith al-Sharifs. If they could not find it clearly in Hadith al-Sharifs either, they would declare that the practice should be done in accordance with the ijma on that action, if there had been any. If the way of doing a certain practice could not be found through ijma either, then it would be necessary to follow the qiyas of mushtahids. Imam Malik said that besides these four documents, the unanimity of the inhabitants of al-Madinat al-Munawwara of that time was a document. He said their tradition, unanimity, was handed down from their fathers, from their grandfathers, and originally from Rasulullah wasallam. He said that this document was more dependable than Qiyas, yet the imams of the other three madhabs did not consider the inhabitants of Medina a source for documentation. There were two methods for ishtihad. One was the method of the ulama of Iraq, called the way of ray, or choice, or the way of Qiyas, comparison. If it was not declared clearly in the Qur'an al-Karim or Hadith al-Sharifs how to do a certain practice, another practice that was clearly expressed in the Qur'an al-Karim or Hadith al-Sharifs and which was similar to the practice in question would be searched for. When it was found, the practice in question would be compared to it and done in a similar way. After the Sahabat al-Kiran, the leader of the Mujtahids of this way, was Imam al-Azham Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi the second way was the way of the ulama of Hijaz, called the way of riwaya or tradition. They considered the traditions of the inhabitants of al-Madinat al-Munawwara superior to Qiyas. The greatest of the mujtahids of this way was Imam Malik, who lived in al-Madinat al-Munawwara. Al-Imam Ashafi 
and Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhimma, attended his suhbats. Al-Imam Ashafi, after learning the way of Imam Malik, went to Baghdad and learned the way of Al-Imam Al-Azham, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayh. From his disciples and united these two methods, he established a new approach for ishtihad. Because he was very eloquent and literary man, he understood the context of ayats and hadiths and decided on each practice in accordance with an alternative he found more emphatic. When he could not find an alternative emphatic enough, he himself employed ishtihad according to the way of Qiyas. Ahmed ibn Hanbal, too, went to Baghdad after learning the way of Imam Malik. There he acquired a method of Qiyas from the disciples of Al-Imam Al-Azham. Yet, because he had memorized a great many hadiths, he employed ishtihad first by examining the way whereby hadiths corroborated one another. Thus, he disagreed with the other three madhabs on many points concerning the Ahkam al-Islamiyah. The case of these four madhabs is similar to that of the inhabitants of a town, the notables of which, when they encounter a new problem they cannot find in the law, assemble together and solve it by comparing it to a conformable paragraph of the law. Sometimes they cannot come to a mutual agreement. Some of them say that the purpose of the state is maintenance of towns for the comfort of the people. By reasoning and observing, they solve a problem by using the analogy between that case and a similar case which is defined directly in an article of the law. This procedure is like the Hanafi madhab. Others observe the behavior of the officials coming from the capital and imitate them in this respect. They say that their behavior indicates the intention of the state. This method is like the Maliki madhab. Some others find out the way of doing a certain practice by studying the expressions and context of the law. They are similar to the Shafi madhab. And some decide the way by doing a certain practice correctly by gathering the other articles of the law and comparing them with one another. They are like the Hanbali madhab. Thus each of the notables of the town finds a solution and says that his solution is correct and compatible with the law. But what the law approves of is only one of the four, and the other three are wrong. Yet their disagreement with the law is not out of their intention to oppose the law. They strive to carry out the orders of the state. Therefore, none of them is to be regarded guilty. They are likely to be appreciated for striving hard. But those who find out what is right will be appreciated more, and they will be rewarded. The case of the four madhabs is of this sort. The way Allah Ta'ala likes is certainly only one of them. Concerning a certain practice on which the four madhabs disagree with one another, one of them must be right and the other three wrong. But since each imam al-madhab endeavored to find out the right way, those who were wrong will be forgiven. They will even be rewarded because our Prophet ﷺ said, There is no punishment for my ummah due to mistakes or forgetfulness. These differences among them only concern some insignificant affairs. Since there was complete agreement among them concerning belief and on most of the acts of worship, i.e. the rules that are openly stated in the Qur'an al-Karim and hadith al-Sharifs, they did not criticize one another.